Is anyone in the room ready for a happy new year? <laughs> oh, that's twice today, Brother Law, that you did something that I wanted, and I thank you for it. Uh, now is the time. Usually we know that January, the first, the calendar rolls around. This is the time that people begin to do things, and they make, they make big promises and commitments and decisions about the next year. And I don't, and, and sometimes people get, uh, they get razzed for it. They get dismissed. They'll say, oh, you shouldn't make resolutions. They never happen. And then it becomes very, um, very, uh, uh, very, con- people get kind of condescending about it. Well, here's what I think. I think that any time we give ourselves permission to imagine the future differently than the present or the past, that's a good thing. In fact, imagining the future differently, that is hope. And if you, <laughs> if you aren't imagining the future differently, we, we, we need to have a, a board dis- discipline meeting with you or something. <laughs> We, we, you, we've got to, this is important. If ever there was a time for you and I to think, you know what, we need to get our faithometer out and crank it up and begin to look through the lens of faith and see what can be, that time is now. And if we will do so, if we will look through the lens of faith and see what, according to the promises of God, can be, and then, and then we will take the next step toward that, then nothing will be impossible. So I want to ask you this morning, those with us here in the room and those watching online, I want you to look through that lens of faith. I want you to ask yourself, what do I see that can be? And then, having seen it, I want to challenge you to make it so. We have a tradition at Heritage that we launch our year together by looking thither. Would you all say, look thither? If that's the first time you've ever said, look thither, don't worry, you'll say it again a lot. Starting today. But just say it again, look thither. I've, I've, this is something that is that that is a, a part of our uh, our culture. It's a part of our our uh, our faith conversation, and it's the way we begin, or we have begun each year at Heritage for many years. Once there was a great kingdom. This kingdom was known throughout all lands for its splendor, its magnificent buildings, its great terraced gardens and bountiful farms. But through time, all that changed. Now the once great buildings were falling down and in need of much repair. The farms were now small and did not grow enough food for the kingdom. And the poor villagers would oftentimes go hungry. 
the people of this kingdom were not just poor by way of things. They were poor of spirit, for there was not much joy in the village. There was no dancing, rarely was music heard. Worst of all, the people had forgotten why their kingdom was once great. The king of this land did not look as you might expect a king to look, for he did not have a magnificent throne or flowing robes or or a golden crown inlaid with precious gems. He was the king of a poor kingdom, so he looked quite ordinary and poor himself. His castle was always cold and in need of repair. He, he did not entertain the kings of other lands, for he was greatly ashamed of his kingdom. Now, to the east of this unhappy land was a beautiful kingdom with great farms and glorious cathedrals and castles, and there was lovely gardens adorned with fine sculptures and sparkling fountains. Night and day, the breeze from the city walls carried the most exquisite music and enticing sense of perfume as well as the smell of delicacies, for there was an abundance of food in the land. Oh, it made the people even more unhappy to look on the wealth of their neighbors. For despite their poverty, the people prided themselves on having once been a great kingdom. The king did not often leave his castle, for he was weary of the complaints of his subjects. One day, as he sat down to a meager dinner of bread and cheese and mutton, There came a knock at the castle door. The king's servant opened the door to find an old man with a large oak walking stick. He was carrying a leather canister which hung from his shoulder by straps. Hail, said the man, I am but passing through your kingdom to the village to the east. I'm looking for an inn to spend the night. The servant frowned. This is not an inn. This is the king's castle. The traveler looked around in surprise. This is not much of a castle, he said. Still, I am weary for my journey, and I would like to rest here. Well, you must inquire of my lord, the servant said. Well, lead me to him, said the traveler. The servant led the traveler down a dark, cold hallway to the king's dining room. The king looked up from his meal as the man entered. You are the king of this land, the man asked. I am. You do not look like a king. The king frowned. I am the king of a poor kingdom. Our farms don't grow. Our buildings are falling down. My people weary me day and night with their complaints. Well, we were once a great kingdom, but all that has changed. The traveler nodded slowly. Why do you not change back? He asked. Change, the king replied angrily. Well, we tried that before, only to fail. We lack all the knowledge of what once made this kingdom great. You lack but one thing, said the traveler, and if you'll give me supper and lodging for the night, I will on the morrow show you why you failed. 
The king looked at him thoughtfully and said, motioning to the platters of bread and cheese, well, eat your fill. When the old man had finished his meal, the servant led him to a room. That night, as the king lay in his bed, he, he wondered if the stranger had tricked him. The next morning, the traveler came to the king in his throne room. You have lived up to your part of the bargain. Now I will live up to mine. Follow me. The king followed the, the old man to the castle balcony. There the traveler brought out a long round canister and pulled from it a brass tube with a sewn leather cover. A spyglass. He raised the spyglass to his eye and looked out over the land until a smile crossed his face. Then he handed the spyglass to the king and said, Excellently done. <laughs> he handed the spyglass to the king and said, The king looked out through the glass. He could see great farms and gardens, magnificent castles and cathedrals. He lowered the spyglass and said impatiently, I've seen the wonders of the eastern kingdom. I hear far too much from them. Oh, no, you, you are mistaken, said the traveler. It, it is your own kingdom that you see. Once again, the king raised the spyglass, but this time he recognized the hills and the glens of his own kingdom. But where there had been barren pasture, there were now fields of grain stretching as far as the eye could see. His own people were in the fields. Their, their wagons were overflowing with their harvest. You are a wizard, said the king. It's a trick of the glass. It is no trick. But when the king put down the glass, his kingdom looked the same as it did before. Nothing has changed. No, said the old man, change requires work. But one must first see before doing. The king again raised the glass. What greatness this kingdom holds. You have seen what can be, said the traveler. Now go and make it so. After two harvests, I will return for my spyglass. The king on horseback went out into his kingdom. He rode until he came to a, the edge of a once beautiful garden. Now overrun with weeds and thistles. No one walked in the garden. No one, no one enjoyed it. There was neither the, the, there was the sound of children playing. Uh, uh, it, was, it was barren and unused. But a group of villagers were standing outside its fence. And their children played at their feet in the dirty roadway. Why do you not use the garden? The king asked them. Why, it's not fit, sire, replied a woman. So it is not, agreed the king, but it could be. Well done. Try it again. It could be. 
The king held out the spyglass. One by one, the villagers looked through the tube at the garden. The weeds and the thistles were gone. The lawns were lush and inviting. But when they set down the, the, the spyglass, the garden returned to its overgrown state. Well, it's an amusing device, said one man, but it's of no use. No use indeed, said the king. Behold, knave, and he went down to the garden and began to pull the weeds up by his own hand. And when the villagers saw what he was doing, they too began to pull up weeds until they had uncovered a large marble statue of an angel, its wings spread, its face looking toward heaven. The people stared at the statue in silent awe. At length, the king mounted his horse. But before he left, he said, You have seen what can be. Now go and make it so. The king rode further down the road until he came to a farmer sitting on the ground, threshing grain with a small flail. How goes it, man? The king asked. The weary farmer barely looked up. Can't even grow enough food to feed ourselves, the farmer sadly replied. The king lifted the spyglass from his coat. Come hither, good man, and behold your farm. The farmer lifted up the eyepiece to his eye and gasped, It's sorcery! No, the king said, you have seen what can be. Now, go and make it so. Farther down the road, the king came to a crumbling cathedral. The roof had rotted and fallen in, and it was no longer safe to enter its arched doors. There were tents pitched outside where the small congregation had gathered. The king rode his horse up to the tent. The friar who stood before the people stopped speaking at his approach. All turned to see the king. Why do you meet in tents, the king asked. Why, sire, our our cathedral has fallen. Well, why don't you rebuild it? The friar opened his arms to his congregation. We are few in number. We are poor. I'm sure there were lots of other reasons and excuses. Well, have you shown your congregation what could be? The king asked. The friar looked quizzically at the king. and, And what might that be? See for yourself, said the king. Handing him the spyglass, the friar looked through it and saw a new cathedral, larger than the decaying building and more elaborate and adorned with beautiful sculptures of saints and cherubs. And the friar stared in awe. By the grace of God, he said, I have seen a vision. The king said, you have seen what can be. Now, Go and make it so. Day by day, the king went out until he had visited all the people of his kingdom and shown them what might be. Now, though there were those who would not look through the glass, and there were those who refused to believe what they saw, There were some who looked with wonder 
and with hope. And that same year, there was a plentiful harvest. And the farmers filled their wagons with bar and their barns with grain. But not just the farmers prospered. The wagon builders were busy building wagons to carry all the grain. And the millers were busy milling the grain into flour. And for the first time, as long as the villagers could remember, there was more than enough to eat. And music and dancing again filled the streets. Old buildings were repaired and new buildings arose, including the beginning of the most majestic cathedral in the land. As promised, two harvests later, the traveler returned to the kingdom. He almost did not recognize the castle for so greatly had it changed. The scarred wooden door that he had once knocked on was now new and intricately carved. Beautiful tapestries adorned the now polished marble floors. The castle's once cold chambers were warmed with heat and music, and the king was attended to by a bevy of servants. The king, dressed in lavish robes, warmly welcomed the old man. My friend, he said, I have awaited your return. Look what prosperity your spyglass has brought my people. The old man smiled. Oh, you have done well, but I cannot tarry. I have only come for my spyglass, and then I'll be on my way. At this, the king frowned. In the two seasons since you blessed us with your arrival, we have accumulated much treasure. In exchange for the spyglass, I will trade all the gold in the royal coffers with men and wagons enough to carry it wherever your destination. You have spoken wisely, said the traveler, for the gift of the spyglass is worth more than all the gold in the royal coffers all throughout the land. But keep your gold. You no longer need the spyglass. But there is still So much to be done, pleaded the king. Yes, said the traveler, but you no longer need the spyglass. You can see without it. How is it possible, asked the king. The spyglass, the traveler replied, the spyglass only showed you what could be if you believed. For it was only faith that you and your people lacked. The king shook his head in disbelief. How can this be? Faith is foolishness. So says the fool, the old man replied. Faith, he said, is the beginning of all journeys. It is by faith that the seed is planted. It is by faith that the foundation is dug. It is by faith that each book is penned and each song is written. It it, only with faith can we see that which is not but can be. The eye of faith 
is greater than the natural eye. For the natural eye only sees a portion of the truth. The eye of faith sees without bounds and without limits. I had not supposed, the king said. That is why you once failed, said the traveler. But faith is why you now succeed. He placed his hands on the king's shoulder and said with a smile, You have seen what can be. Now go and make it so. And though the traveler and his spyglass were never again seen in the land, the kingdom continued to prosper and became again the great kingdom of old. Yet despite their abundance of food and their beautiful buildings and their lush gardens and majestic cathedral, it was ever said of that kingdom that their greatest treasure was their faith. In the Bible, faith really begins with the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis 12, God takes the initiative. He initiates a relationship with Abraham by giving Abraham a promise. He, lets, he gives Abraham a promise. And Abraham responds to that promise by faith. Now, later, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans will condense the story of Abraham and his faith in Romans chapter 4. And this is how Paul describes it. He says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Our becoming is directly related to our believing. Abraham believed and so became. He believed and so he became. Come on, you need to say that out loud. He believed and so he became. He became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He was about 100 years old, and and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Paul tells us that Abraham looked at what was. He faced the fact. He was 100 years old. His wife was no spring chicken. They'd never had any kids. He took an honest look at what was, but he did not stay there. Faith is not fear of facts. We aren't fact deniers. (laughs) Faith is not fear of facts, but it is the substance of hope in the face of facts. The writer of Hebrews claims that faith is the evidence of what we don't see yet. Hebrews 11.1 of the New American Standard says, Now faith is the certainty of things hoped for. And faith itself, it says, is the proof 
of what we don't see. Sometimes we struggle because we have no frame of reference for hope. Because what has been, has been this way for quite a while. Perhaps we haven't seen it differently than, than it is for quite a while. But here's what faith does. Faith sees what is, but then faith goes to the storehouse of the promises of God. And, it's, and it grabs a hold, it sifts through the, the promises of God. And faith says, just because it looks this way now, it does not have to stay this way. And faith searches those storehouses of God's promises. And there, in the promises of God, faith finds hope. Yes, yes, yes. And this is what Abraham did. He He looked at what was, but by faith he saw what could be because he was persuaded, Paul says, that God had the power to do what he had promised. And though Abraham had lived his whole life without any of his own descendants, the promise of God said, I'm going to give you more than you can count. That is looking thither. And faith will enable you and I to do the same, to look and see what can be. Faith Let's us look thither. Faith gives substance to our hope. Let faith give you today traction and a grip and a leverage to lay hold of hope. Let faith push away the debris of doubt and discouragement. Some of you might say, well, I've been looking. Keep looking. Never look down. Never look back, only look thither. At Heritage, we have so much in front of us. But all of us, we all together must look thither. I need you to do it. We need we to do it. If ever we must be a people of faith who lift the lens of faith and see something different, greater, more victorious than now, this is the time. We must be a people of faith. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.12, he tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. You know, faith can be a fight. The word fight there means to strive or to labor fervently or to contend against an adversary. But faith, Paul says that faith is a good fight. It's a virtuous fight. It's a valuable fight. My daddy says it this way. Faith is a fight worth winning. Faith is a fight worth winning. For you, what can you see? When you look through the lens of faith at your life, what do you see? Oh, I know many of us are probably very grateful for what we have seen. But if you're still breathing, you've got to keep looking. Look through the lens of faith and say, what can be? What can be according to the promises of God? When you consider the year in front of you, when you consider your family or perhaps your finances or unfinished projects or unresolved conflicts, desires or dreams or things that you have written off as impossible or or improbable, for many of you it's time to dust off some dreams. 
Because faith, having seen what can be, cannot be satisfied with what is. Hope is dangerous. Hebrews 13 says something interesting about faith. Hebrews 13 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Remember them. And then it says, Consider the outcome of their way of life and then imitate their faith. Remember, consider, and imitate. What, what, what the writer of Hebrews wants us to do is remember those who've gone before us and not imitate every opinion that they had, certainly not emulate their mistakes, all that kind of stuff. But what, what the writer says is rem, look for their faith. Look for their faith. Imitate their faith. I think for you and I, that yes, that the, the immediate instruction is, yep, we should do that. But the implication is that there are going to be people after us that are going to need something to imitate. And we, we, you and I must look thither and live by faith, not only for ourselves, but for those who will come behind us. We must leave a legacy for someone to imitate. So what can you see when you look through the lens of faith? Boundless, limitless. <laughs> That's the thing about these spyglasses. No matter what, no matter what you see with the natural eye, this is always this always makes it bigger, bigger. Oh, I see that. Well, maybe look again. It's bigger. But now, having seen what can be, the Bible tells us, like the traveler, to go and make it so. Because faith lets me see, and then faith leads me to act. Faith is seeing, and then faith is doing. Faith is not make-believe. Faith makes things happen. You might say, well, I don't know if I have enough faith. (laughs) This is why Jesus is so awesome. He tells us that if we have faith like a mustard seed, we can move mountains. What does that mean? Is there any, what can a mustard seed do? I should have brought some with me today. What can a mustard seed do when I hold it in my hand? Nothing. Nothing. You know what a mustard, the only thing, the only time a mustard seed does anything is if you do something with it. Jesus said a mustard seed is tiny little thing. It's insignificant. But if you put it in the ground, if you do something with it, you will lose the life that's in the seed and it will grow exponentially larger than it used to be. For if faith is going to start moving mountains, your faith has got to get moving. You've got to sow faith to grow faith. You've got to do something with what you've seen. And if you do, (laughs) nothing will be impossible. Faith without works, James says, is dead. Even when James wrote about Abraham's faith, he noted that faith, Abraham's faith led him to act. James 2.22, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and that his faith was made complete by what he did. In the same way, you and I, we, we by faith see what can be 
And then we are inspired, we are awakened to cooperate, to work together with God to make it so. You may not know every step you need to take. You probably won't know every step. You probably will not see the the road laid out clearly from here all the way to there. But the good news is, not only do we see by faith, the Bible says that we walk by faith. All you need to do is take the very next step in front of you. See by faith and then do, take the very next step. That's how Jesus leads us. He doesn't give us directions. He says, follow me. See what can be and then take the next step. On the back, if you got a, if you got a handout today, on the back of that handout are just two questions. What can you see and what will you do first? What do you see? What will you do first? Let search the storehouses of the promises of God. And let them be a lens of faith for you to look thither. And then, having seen what can be, let us go and make it so. Let's stand together. Lord, your word says that no matter how many promises of God there are, they are all yes in Christ Jesus. And we say amen. So Lord, we search, we reach into the storehouses of the promises of God and we fasten those promises as lenses And we look through those promises to see, to look thither and to begin to believe, to imagine with faith what can be. And Lord, and then by that same faith, we take the first step. Friends, for some of us, the first step may be may be repentance. It may be being honest with the Lord about things that need to be made right, bringing things out of hiding. For some of us, the first step might be surrender, trusting that what we see in His Word is true and worth obeying. some of us the step might be simply to take a knee and say Lord I believe help me Mike help my unbelief
But I know this about Jesus. You'll never take one step alone. Because he who started a work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children Jesus, may you leave this place and this time looking thither and walking by faith. God bless you. Happy New Year.